All right, so I watched the Vice documentary yesterday, which was very interesting. Um, obviously, you know, it's hard to consolidate so much information um, that happened within the 3HO cult, the cult started by Yogi Bhajan, the Kundalini Yoga cult, whatever you know it by. Um, or maybe you don't know it at all. And um, for you, this might be... I'm not sure if this is like a great entry point. You might want to go watch the documentary first. Um, but, you know, you're welcome to listen and see uh, if this makes sense anyway. But I'm assuming that you, um, you, the listener, have some, you know, backstory as to what I'm talking about, which is why you maybe clicked on the video or wanted to listen to the podcast because um, this is available in both formats. So if you don't know about my YouTube channel yet, which is also called Inspired Artist Podcast, um, you can check out the video version of that just in case you want to watch my lips move as I talk. I don't know. So anyway, I watched it last night with my partner, my partner who's never been in a cult, <laughs> but who has heard a lot of um, a lot of it from me and who has, you know, so sweetly watched like a million other cult documentaries with me as I've tried to process this chapter of my life that I am uh, you know, attempting to heal and process and uh, work through and ultimately, you know, move forward from. But um, it it highlighted what I feel to be like the two most, from my perspective, I guess, the two most like egregious things that happened, which were the ickiest for me to realize that I had unwittingly participated in, which are well, that I unwittingly participated in sort of the promotion of this cult via my music. That was super upsetting. Um, but that the cult had been responsible, the cult, Yogi Bhajan, had been responsible for the rape of numerous women, many who have not even come forward, I'm sure, because the fact that anyone should have to come forward and put a face to their traumatic story is just beyond unfair in my mind and yet I am so grateful that the women who were part of that documentary um, chose to. Now the two women who were part of the documentary, I'm talking about Sep Pavan and Nadine who were part of the um, second generation of you know 3HO kids who were sent to India, they did not um, say that they had been raped but they felt like it was going that way. They had definitely been inappropriately um, spoken to and touched and, you know, groomed for this position of being one of his concubines. Um, Premka, Pamela, sorry, who was Premka, uh, Pamela Sahara Dyson, who wrote the book that sort of catalyzed all of these stories coming forward yet again, you know, because they had come, you know, people were talking about this, but it was very much suppressed and very much not believed, uh, really sad. I did not know about either the stories or the fact that people weren't believing them. Um, I heard rumors of things, I think, but um, the main thing that I was aware of during my involvement with 3HO was that these kids in India, who some of them were my friends, had had really awful experiences in India. And I don't think I knew the extent to which that was true. Um, because, you know, they, they didn't talk about a lot of it. Um, but it, it angered me that their experience had been so bad. I don't know that they made the connection that this was happening because of Yogi Bhajan. 
Um, my assumption was always, they might have, um, but my assumption was always just that they had been sent off to India for this wonderful purpose and that, you know, maybe um, they had, you know, there had been some poor management, you know, maybe like Yogi Bhajan had been trusting of some really incompetent people over there and they had made those gross errors when in fact, you know, the line started with him and everybody was sort of uh, kowtowing to his protocols. So it was a direct reflection of what was going on in the cult as opposed to, you know, some mysterious traumatic experience that we don't know how this could have happened, you know. But, you know, these kids were sent off that, and honestly, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pick favorites, but, you know, this, this is like, I think the hardest thing for me and probably for a lot of people in the cult to kind of come to terms with is just how anyone thought it was okay to send over their two-year-old, their five-year-old, their six-year-old. It makes me want to start weeping as I talk about it to a foreign country, to India, where they didn't see their parents sometimes for years on end. Um, I mean, one of the guys in the, in the Vice documentary, Tage Steiner, talked about sending his kid off when he was two. And then when they finally saw him again, the child didn't recognize his own parents. Um, and he was, he was really uh, obviously very remorseful about it. And I felt really badly for him too. And having been part of this, this cult, this, you know, um, experience, uh, I have... I have deep compassion for all of the people that were involved in it. I mean, I feel like because I didn't, I didn't suffer um, as these kids did and I didn't suffer as the women who were raped did. I didn't have any of those kinds of experiences. Um, I think I'm definitely able to see this from, you know, kind of a wider lens as opposed to like a very specific, this is what happened to me lens, um, which you know, doesn't make my perspective better. It just makes it a little bit different from um, some of the people who spoke in the, the documentary. And, you know, from my perspective, it's like I can see how manipulatable these people were. Um, I had been manipulatable. When you, when you enter this sort of arena, you know, when you get into the, the land of of cults when you get into the presence of somebody who claims to have the answers to everything and very well seems to. And then the community that surrounds this person amplifies that idea because now you're in a situation where not only somebody claims to know all, but all of those that are around you are also believing that they are. And it's kind of this like self-fulfilling thing because you believe because the person next to you believes and they believe because you believe and they believe because, you know, and the other person next to you believes because the other person <laughs> that they're with believes. And everybody just has this assumption that everybody is, you know, in a hundred percent in <clears throat> agreement with the decisions, the choices, the lectures of this person. And so, you know, you see enough people wearing white and it seems like they're living a, you know, a fantastic spiritual life and they figured it all out. Um, you, you sort of enter that illusion and everybody, everybody works to uphold that illusion together. 
And that's the power of, of the cult. You know, it, it is an alternate reality. And, you know, and from kind of like a, I don't know, the strange, the, I guess like the, the, the very like, um, the strange way that I think about things, you know, it's like a cult is, is, is a culture, right? Cultures believe things. And as groups of people, we do uphold beliefs that, you know, maybe for centuries, um, continue to be relevant or continue to be used, even though they become irrelevant, you know? So we can see even in just normal society, how we uphold principles and beliefs that actually serve us not at all, but we continue to um, live by them because everybody seems to think that this is okay, you know? Um, this is a really stupid example, but just something that comes off the top of my head. For Easter, you know, like as a society in the U.S., we seem to think it's okay to waste like millions and millions of eggs so that our kids can color them. But they don't come into the world thinking that they want to color an egg. We instill that as part of our culture into them and then they want to do it. And then this is normalized because everybody does it. And so that's sort of a stupid example, but like, hopefully you get what I'm saying that like the, you know, we can see kind of objectively that the wasting of millions, possibly billions, I don't know, of Easter eggs, because you know, like how many hard boiled eggs can you really eat? Um, is, is normal. It's made normal. It's like, well, that's what you do for Easter, you know? Um, even though it's extremely wasteful and ultimately like not good for our planet, not good for, you know, and not good for us, nobody. So, um, went off on kind of a tangent there, but I think that it's important to bring in like concepts that we as a society can see are are normalized and sort of stupid when we look at other people from the outside and we go, how could they possibly believe that? You go, well, you know, you believe a lot of things that really aren't relevant to your life, don't make a lot of sense, but you continue to do them. Not you personally, but we all do. You know, um, we continue to accept things that perhaps we shouldn't, but we do because they're normalized and nobody seems to be up in arms about them, you know? So you can imagine how it would get to the point where you would have such trust in a system, in a people where a whole community of people is saying like, for the betterment of our children, we are going to send them off to a school in India where they will become spiritual masters or whatever. It's, it's difficult, I suppose, from an outside perspective to see that as anything but child abuse. But I, I get it. I get why someone would have thought that. And I get what sort of state of mind you would have needed to be in, um, to do that. And like Shabit in the documentary was talking about, you know, there was, there was not a little bit of pressure that the people, the cult members put upon each other to, to do this. You know, it was like, are your kids going to India? Well, why not? Well, my kids are going to India, you know, like, don't you want the best for them? <clears throat> what's wrong with you? Don't you trust in, in what we're doing? And then the thing that is, that is interesting is, you know, we, I've also, I also watched that documentary, um, as I talked about in my last podcast, um, 
with, uh, it was called Bad Vegan with the, the raw food woman, um, Sarma Mangalis, Mangalis. And, you know, from that standpoint, it was like the amount of money she was willing to give. She kept giving more and more money. And the more money she gave, the more it like had to be true because the worse it was going to feel if it wasn't, right? The more she became invested in it, the more she had to invest. And I think, you know, it's like, how much more important are your children than money, right? So if you can imagine how, um, you know, how you would, if you can't conceive of how you could give millions of dollars to somebody, um, I just think about what it's like to give your child up. I mean, um, I don't know if I had like a real point to that, but just I guess the fact that, you know, we, we sort of see how people can get financially scammed um, because maybe that's a little bit closer to our reality. Um, I'm not talking about myself because I've just, I've definitely been spiritually scammed and not, not just financially scammed, but, um, but it's harder, I think maybe for people who have never had that happen to them to see how you could be spiritually scammed. Um, but you know, gosh, I mean, I have a friend who grew up in a, you know, in a Christian family. She was part of some like kind of strange Christian sect and all of the parents one day decided that dolls were false idols and they brought in all their kids toys and burned them. Um, that seems kind of abusive too. <laughs> not as, not as traumatic probably as sending them off to a foreign country, but I, I don't know. I'm just trying to kind of give some context for the crazy things that humans do and, um, why, how this could have happened, you know? So anyway, I mean, I have a six-year-old, so like hearing that a six-year-old is by themselves just living day-to-day -day with a six-year-old and the innocence and the preciousness of their, of their thought processes and their need for, you know, affection and their need for encouragement and their need for safety and love, it just, it breaks my heart to think about someone being sent off at that age and younger to fend for themselves, you know? Um, so that was, that was really hard to hear. I I knew it, of course I knew, and I've heard, I've heard some also some, some, I've read some, you know, disgusting accounts that, um, other people have, posted online in this like secret group not secret but it's a private group on online called uh, beyond the cage now on facebook and what's kind of strange about you know to me strange but you know it makes sense i guess is that so many of these stories are being shared within closed doors quote unquote so many of these stories are being shared in spaces where only people who sort of know about them already, can hear them. And I understand why that is. It's very vulnerable to share, you know, uh, stories of sexual abuse. That's, like I said in the beginning, I mean, I've, I've had to give an account of being abused and it's disgusting. Like, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to have that happen to them and nobody wants to have to tell it over and over again especially at the, you know, the discretion of the person you're, you know, you're talking to probably not believing you. I mean, that is, 
that's like, that is horrific. So I, I can't even believe that so much time went by before people were willing to listen to these women. Like, I mean, Nadine said like 30 years, you know, she had, this happened to her and, and, um, people were, were not believing her. People didn't believe Pamela. Um, the Kate, oh, it's not coming to me, but there's, you know, there's an actual, Pamela had an actual lawsuit, but Kate, um, oh, it's not coming to me, but she, she Yogi Bhajan raped her, anal raped her, um, while her sister held the door. I think I've talked about this before and, you know, she had a lawsuit and they, they settled out of court and it was reported to the community that the charges had been dismissed. Um, and that, you know, she was a liar. So there was like this, there was this building in the community of this story that, you know, basically, I guess the spiritual practice was too much for them. And, you know, they just went crazy or like they resented Yogi Bhajan for how much for his mastery or just all these convoluted, like nonsense stories. And I really thought that it was interesting that the documentary editors or producers, I'm not sure who made that choice. Uh, maybe they interviewed other people and they just didn't find their narratives as compelling, but they basically pitted, I don't say pitted, but I mean, basically, because they took basically the two viewpoints, right? They took the non-believers um, in the sense of not believing that any uh, harm had occurred. And then the believers, and they had more of them to their credit, I'm glad. And, you know, the people who were still wearing their white clothes and their turbans and chanting Sata Nama, like, I, from my perspective now, I'm like, yeah, they look crazy. Um, but I, I know... I know from their perspective as they're chanting this, like they're thinking like, I am amazing and regal and, you know, and doing God's work on earth. Um, uh, and, but it's still, I still can't really, I can't understand how, how deluded somebody has to be in order to deny that much evidence. I mean, it's one thing if like one person had come out, you know, but like, that it, it gets to a point where you're like the investment that you have made, you know, and, and like, I'm talking about this investments, like the more you invest, the more you have to invest, right? The investment that they've made is so great. I mean, they have sacrificed their entire lives, right? These, it was Dharma and Fateh. Um, they have sacrificed their entire lives to this cult and it's all they have. You know, I, I am, while I empathize that it must be very difficult to turn, to turn around and, you know, admit that you're wrong because ultimately I feel like it's just a huge ego trip, you know, like they're afraid that their ego is going to shatter. And, you know, I, that must be hard. That must be hard. Um, but I don't know. That's a lot of evidence to ignore. It's a lot. Um, but anyway, I, I thought it was interesting that they pitted these two men against basically these two women, right? So you had Nadine and Set Pavan who were talking about this very real abuse that happened to them. Um, and then like the two non-believers who were these men. And, and I thought it was nice that they they also invited two other men. Um, so it was, it was interesting the way that they, you know, the way that they, uh, they selected their interviewers, I thought, or interviewees. 
because um, then there were these other two men, Shabbat and Tej, who were on the side of the, the women who believed. And then there was this other perspective from Pamela, which was, um, you know, a first generation person who had actually helped in solidifying a lot of the infrastructure that I then would come in and participate in. And I feel for her too, you know, Nadine um, rightfully is very upset with, with Pamela because she participated in a lot of the harm that happened to her directly, you know. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I also understand from Pamela's perspective that she was uh, a victim of undue influence right? She was brainwashed and she believed just as much as any of the other people that this man knew what he was talking about. And she had kind of un, unerring faith in his decisions. Um, and ultimately it must not have felt right to her because she did end up leaving. So there must have been this sort of breaking point. Um, and she talks about that in the book. Oh, Wow. One of the other things that was so interesting to me was when they talked about the businesses and they talked about Yogi Tea, which of course I knew about. There were a lot of businesses. And Pamela talked about how the businesses would sort of get to a certain point in their, you know, their profits and Yogi Bhajan would go in and have the businesses signed over to the cult, to the organization. Yogi Tea, someone said in the documentary, I can't remember who it was, was grossing like a billion dollars a year. I think that that's right. So I am very like thinking, okay, a billion dollars a year. <laughs> they have like hundreds of ashrams all over the world. This, you know, this is like copyrighted manuals and things that they're selling to all these teacher trainings all over the world. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of money. There's a lot of money somewhere. And it's funny because when I was part of the cult, I never got the impression that there was a lot of money. You know, maybe you can relate to this. Like I would never go to a gathering like solstice and go like, wow, there is so much wealth here. You know, it's like there wasn't in, in strange ways and like people, you know, sort of being pressurized to buy like $500 malas and things like that. And, you know, expensive uh, swords and knives and turban material and whatever, but the environment did not suggest to me that this was a wealthy organization. And yet in some respects it must have been. So I'm going like, where did this money go? Like who's the person with the bank account that's like stuffing all this money in their pockets and never showing up to a community event, you know? Um, or maybe they were, and I just didn't know who they were. I would love to know the answer to that because they didn't really talk about where that money goes. They just talked about how it made so much money. Um, I mean, I realized it went to Yogi Bhajan at the time, but there is no Yogi Bhajan. And to my knowledge, it doesn't go to his wife because of the lawsuit. Does it go to the, you know, the woman who's now the head of Sikh Dharma International or whatever they changed it to, Sikh Dharma Worldwide? Yes, Bubbles. I'm recording. Okay. Speak of my six-year-old. He showed up. Um, and he's doing handstands in the back <laughs> on my wall now. So, 
Yeah, the money, the money part's really interesting to me. And I know there was like a lot of um, discussion around there being some corruption involving the uh, the board of the for-profit businesses. You know, there's also a call security. That was all happening kind of around the time when I joined um, in 2011. There was like this separation of um, of the people who sort of stood by the the elected or the I don't know the the people who were managing the for-profits and then those who um, were I guess more like community uh, leaning and there was just this rift and I remember I remember that happening still would love to know you know I mean the documentary that needs to be made about this community is like 10 hours long I mean just this I think this vice thing was like 40 minutes and it just sort of barely scratched the surface of what was going on because also, you know, it didn't even talk about like the toner um, scams and like all of the, you know, the businesses that were illegal and the, the, the drugs. And I mean, you know, it, it was very mild, very mild version of, of what happened. And also, you know, it didn't interview anyone who was actually violently raped. Um, probably because that is a, you know, who wants to get up on TV and, 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 and do that, honestly. And I mean, that's one of the things that just makes me sort of livid about these people that say we don't believe these women because, you know, they're lying and they just want attention or whatever. No woman wants that kind of attention. I mean, okay, maybe like, I don't know, some, some crazy, some like a few crazy people, I don't know. But most women do not want attention for, you know, making up a rape. That is not the kind of attention anybody wants. You don't get good attention from that. That's an insane, that I, I'm recording, what is going on? Okay, sorry, getting a little interrupted and they're gone now and I realized I was using that word. I don't know, I don't think my six-year-old knows what that means. Um, he also doesn't usually pay attention to me when, when I talk, so that's, <laughs> that's positive. Um, but yeah, that's not the kind of attention someone would want. That's ridiculous. And I thought it was really funny because they didn't even say that. Like, I can't remember who it was, either Fateh or Dharma, but he was like, they imagined these things. Just, it's such a strange thing. It's not even a good argument. You know, I've heard the one where like they got paid, which seems like a strange one too. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, it obviously, obviously it's ridiculous. Um, and I hope that anybody watching the documentary saw how ridiculous that position would be. Um, also, I think the fact that they included that Yogi Bhajan lecture where he talks about rape and how it's every woman's fault that she gets raped basically um, was probably pretty was probably the nail in his coffin for most viewers I would think because um, I mean if you really like if you really want to discredit Yogi Bhajan just quote him that's that's it that's all you gotta do you just have to go into the archives and take all of the disgusting things he said and and that's it um, you know, and there were a few, there were a few sort of like universal nice truths, you know, and, and definitely I don't think that everything he said was bullshit, but most of it was. So, 
Um, anyway, Vice documentary, I, I recommend going and seeing it because I, I hope that it will be one of many, um, one of many documentaries that are made about this community. Like, like I would love to see a series like they did for the Nexium cult. Um, I thought that that was really well done and I'd love to see something that was in depth as that because it was like a series as opposed to a film. I don't think you can in a film do, you know, do much credit to, to a story like this. It's just too big. The scope is too wide and you, you, so you have to, you have to kind of talk about each thing in its own compartment, I think, because you have to understand all sides of it. So yes, I'm not, I'm almost done. So yeah, my my wish is that um, some more complete uh, information comes in, more complete reporting comes comes in about this, and also that gets translated into other languages because I think that a very good job has been done of just ignoring this story in most places besides the United States. I would also like to see the part of the story where Hari Jeevan, Steve, comes in with, you know, um, Guru Jagat and creates a whole like secondary cult that lives on and continues to brainwash people and indoctrinate them and basically, you know, like uh, enslave them that's a bad word, but what, what I'm, what's the word that I'm using for, looking for, like, uh, get them to work for them without much, without much compensation and a lot of grief. Um, you know, in, in the same way that Yogi Bhajan did, there's nothing new there, but um, it's interesting how he's been able to kind of use the backlash that's happened since the Premka book to his advantage to bolster like a new cult that stands very firmly in this. Um, you know, we are those who truly believe and we will not falter from, you know, what, what the master told us, quote unquote. Um, so I think that that's a very interesting thing. There's so many areas that we can look at and I'm definitely not an expert in most of them. But um, I would love to have heard more of the women's stories because I've read them and they are horrific and beyond a shadow of a doubt, not made up. Um, and very interestingly, have a lot of overlap. It sounds like the same person, you know? Um, so, <sighs> all right, well, I'm gonna leave you with that and um, would love to hear what y'all thought about the documentary. If you watched it, please uh, let me know in the comments of the video if you did and what you thought, what you thought was uh, well done, what you thought wasn't well done, what you thought they missed. And um, if there's anything that I forgot to talk about about the documentary, please feel free to comment about that too. Uh, and if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can always go and do that when you rate the podcast and leave a comment. So, all right. I will talk to y'all in the next episode. See you later. Bye.